Hi, I'm Dr. Mila Brugic. I'm joined with Dr. Matt Lampa, and today we're going to be talking about everything out of line with SAG on the Optometric Insights Show. Dr. Matt Lampa, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it. Um, share with our audience a little bit about yourself, where you practice, when you graduate, all that good stuff about your optometric career. Hey, thanks. So yeah, I have a chance to work full-time here at Pacific University College of Optometry in Forest Grove, Oregon, and Oregon's home for me. That's where I grew up, spent undergrad, and went to optometry school here at Pacific. And most of my role at Pacific is in the area of contact lenses, and I do have the fortune of spending um, a day a week at a private office, which is actually in my hometown. So kind of kind of time away from Pacific, but that's me professionally. That's great, Matt. I know you guys have a great reputation for contact lens, contact lens research as well, too. It's where we, we get a lot of the information that we utilize on a daily basis. And one of the cool, 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 um, and this was, a, this was a research paper that you guys put together years ago, but it was describing some of the opportunities, but challenges as well, too, with line of sight and multifocal contact lenses. And if you could take me through that a, a little bit on, on really what you guys were looking at there. Yeah, I know it might sound super nerdy to talk about line of sight and visual access. It's kind of takes us back to those first and second year, like wah, 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 wah courses that you're just, how is this ever going to be clinically meaningful? And one of our frustrations at Pacific was just around, you know, multifocals and multifocal unsuccess, really. Like, is there something that we're missing? You know, we're never really satisfied here. So we're always searching for the next thing. And we got to thinking about how refractive surgeons treat their, um, the procedure itself, kind of looking, optimizing their surgical outcomes. And with them, they, it's a one-shot deal. So they really have to nerd out about getting, you know, everything lined up as as precisely as possible. So um, some of the most of the this discussion in the literature related to visual access and line of sight is actually from refractive surgery. And then the next thing we got to thinking was, well, we can actually image the optics that the patient's actually seeing with the multifocal lens on their eye if we were to do corneal topography right over the, the top of the contact lens. And the advantage there is we kind of get a little bit of a picture of seeing what the patient's actually seeing with their contact lens as those multifocal optics are over their, their visual axis and within their pupil. And I was going to say, Matt, it, does that work because the multifocal optics are actually sitting on the anterior surface of those soft lenses? You got it, 100%. Yep, that's really the only way that we're able to image it is, is because um, we can perform topography right over the top of the soft contact lens on their eyes. So, yep. You repurposed a technology that was meant to measure corneal curvatures while well, the tear film on the cornea and kind of extrapolate corneal curvatures to us. And you said, well, we can repurpose this for another use. I mean, it's essentially what you're saying. Exactly. Yep. Just a quick little hack. Yep. Well, tell us, tell us what you found. So, yeah. So early, early on, we were sort of expecting to find that, yes, there's this misalignment that knowing that when you ask a patient to look straight ahead in the corneal topographer, that they don't actually look straight ahead. They look off to the side a little bit because of that displacement of their fovea temporally. They actually look through the nasal portion of their cornea. That's the whole, you know, visual axis, you know, kind of offset deal. 
that, that the refractive surgery literature found. And we found that, but the thing that we weren't necessarily um, initially aware of was how poorly centered some of these contact lenses are. You know, I got to be honest, the first time that we ever did this, I'll never forget it. I, I with the contact lens on, looked at it with the slit lamp first, and I called it centered, and then went behind the topographer. And it was like really high, really superiorly displaced. And I thought, gosh, that's, that's not right. Like something's wrong took the subject out, put him back in the slit lamp. And sure enough, the lens truly was decentered in the superior direction. Now, when I called the lens centered on my initial look was all I was looking at was, does the contact lens cover the limbus? And though that was technically true, if I was really picky, if I was really choosy, you know, it technically covered more superiorly than it did inferiorly. So it really proved that not only does it matter, you know, where our visual axis is, where our pupil is, it also really matters where the contact lens is actually sitting on their eye. So yeah, that was, that was, I think the initial, like what? So we really needed to then look at how do, do soft lenses actually center on the eye? And, and the answer is kind of, kind of know they don't. Well, so. It's interesting, Matt, too. So you're, you're really looking at a combination of two things. One, where we're looking through the pupil. We actually did some work in our office, Matt, where we actually looked at pupil centration just horizontally, and we found that people with larger, well, we, we famously called it angle lampa for you. If you're the person to bring this up to us, I, I didn't look at it before you kind of brought it up, but angle lambda, we found that people with larger angle lambdas actually tended to have pupils that were more um, nasally displaced in their actual horizontal visible iris as well. But we're looking at two things. One is patients looking through a more nasal portion of their iris slash pupil than we would expect. And two, if a lens is going to decenter, it's maybe mildly decenter temporally, right? You're setting the stage for bad outcome. So now we do. There's there are companies that are building or, or producing lenses that have offset optics nasally, correct? To kind of help. Yeah. Yeah, we now have soft lens companies. We have scleral manufacturers doing it. And it's it's for all the same reason. You know, as the contact lens begins to interact with the broader and broader portion of the sclera, the lens just wants to kick over temporally more and more. So in terms of the complexity of the optic and a multifocal, you know, we're only talking two millimeters, two and a half millimeters in terms of optic zone. So if the lens shifts even a little bit, it's going to matter significantly for the patient. So yeah, pretty cool to see that that companies are, are giving us product solutions to the problem. It totally explains too, Matt, like, you know, when you go back to your original question, like why do you put somebody in a multifocal and they do great. And then you put the, another person exact, like seemingly same measurements and they're unsuccessful in that same multifocal. I totally. Explains it. Yeah. Or you put someone in a, you know, a center near contact lens and they see gray in the distance and they can't read anything up close, but what's the deal? Well, cause they're not looking through the ad, you know, they're looking through the distance portion or, or vice versa. You know, you, same thing. You put someone in a center distance and they see great up close. They can't read anything far away. It's like, what's going on. I don't get it. So yeah, doing topography over gives them a picture of what they're seeing. Early on in my career, you have no idea how many times I thought I had the lenses switched, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so Matt, while we have you here too, I'd love to actually talk to you about some other research that you guys are doing here. And that's really understanding the sagittal depth of contact lenses, the variability that exists in that sagittal depth, and really the influence on fit. So, so tell us a little bit more about that, Matt. Oh, yeah. Hey, this <laughs> it sounds kind of funny to say like soft contact lens research, new and exciting. Um, but we've feel that there's something else to be learned with soft lenses, even though they've been in the market for decades and decades. We're still 
still learning. And one of the things that we felt frustrated with that um, at Pacific was the main way in which you adjust the fit of a soft contact lens was through its base curve and diameter. But you're you're at a little bit of a mercy, you know, of the company saying that the 8.6 from company X is the same 8.6 that it is or from company Y. And that may or may not be true. Just like, you know, just like shoes or whatever, you know, shoe company X might not fit the same as shoe company Y, you know, that kind of thing on, on terms of your feet. So what we had hoped to do was to try to partner with a company that could actually tell us what the sagittal height of a contact lens, soft contact lens is. And we worked with a group in England called Optimec, and they were kind enough to measure basically all of the commonly commercially available sphere and toric soft contact lenses. So single use, daily disposable, two week and monthly lenses. And we're in the process of working on the multifocals, not quite there yet, but it's been awesome. So what are some of the clinical findings that you found that are either you guys have proved it already done the research on it or suggesting anecdotally with the various sag heights and some of the clinical considerations that we need to be taking into account when we look at this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, such a good question. So we've we've charted it out like a literal chart with bar graphs in terms of the on the left hand side of the chart are the shallower you know lenses or what you could argue are the kind of flatter fitting lenses, and then all the way to the peg to the right hand side of the chart are the deepest lenses. The you know what would you could argue be the tightest fitting contact lenses. And for me, it's nice to know those extremes, you know, what's the shallowest, what's the the deepest, Um, because if the patient you have, for example, let's say they have a really large, deep eye, and you fit them in on that chart, you fit them in the deepest or arguably the one or two deepest contact lenses on that chart, and you still don't get the fit that you like, you basically just prove the case that the patient just won the right to wear a custom soft contact lens. It's, It's a great, you know, great way to do it. The other way to do it is if you have a patient come into your office wearing brand, whatever that brand is, and they're they're telling you, yeah, hey, this lens, this lens isn't comfortable on my eye, and you identify the reason why it's too tight, it's too flat, whatever it, the case may be, you know which direction to go in the chart. Is it, it's you just you know pick a lens that's shallower or deeper depending on what your clinical information is telling you, almost like using your foot lamp as the OCT. You know, you're you're using the contact lens that's on their eye already and then just moving you know up or down from from there or or maybe maybe another way to do it maybe the patient is um let's say they're comfortable let's say they're happy with their contact lens and they're in they're in a monthly and and you're like you know what this patient's better served with a daily i want to i want to move this patient onto a daily so you don't really want to change the fit profile all you're wanting to do is kind of move them in from a from a two week or monthly product into a daily I and mean, there's all kinds of ways you can you can break that down and if they're successful in a certain depth in the monthly, you would likely reach for that more depth. You know, Matt, everything you're saying makes so for some for some patients they can wear anything, right? Like, totally. Literally, but but there are some patients where we've had them where we've tried these lenses or these more contemporary lenses and they haven't been successful, and we've kind of blamed silicone hydrogels on them. We've kind of blamed daily disposables, but but maybe it's because we're selecting incorrect sagittal depths and what you're sharing with us may actually be the answer to these patients um is is there a place where the listeners could actually find access to this research that you guys are doing yeah absolutely we've made those charts all publicly available they're hosted on the pacific university website so whatever internet search engine you prefer just put in uh, pacific sag story uh, it might help your internet search engine a little better if you put in the name Mari Fujimoto. She's on faculty with us here at Pacific, and she's the one uh, that posted them up there. So that should help Google or whatever you're using uh, find it. So 
pretty awesome stuff. Use it away. And, and as we get new contact lenses entered into the marketplace, we're going to continue to update it. And like I mentioned earlier, we're working on the multifocals right now. So um, stay tuned. Matt, one other quick question too, and I don't know if you guys have looked at this, but I would assume that there's probably not much or or any sagittal depth difference between power profiles within the same one's design. Is that a correct assumption? Or is oh man, such a good question. So we are in the process of working on that too. So I should say that all of the contact lenses that we measured that were sphere were minus three. If it was a torque lens, it was um, uh, minus three, one and a quarter at 180. Uh, we're in the process of doing the exact same thing, kind of repeating it with plus so plus three now so oh. six after difference and we'll we'll see so stay tuned on that one don't have a great answer for it at the moment but okay matt well that'll be interesting to find out here and uh and again always appreciate um your willingness to share your knowledge base and your information this was this was so interesting i think things that we can kind of apply immediately into clinical practice which what i love uh when we get the chance to talk about this well, thank you, Matt, for being on the show. Truly appreciate it. And uh, thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Optometric Insights Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast where you can hear all the newest, latest innovations in eye care.